Welcome to the King's Cast, dynamic teaching recorded live at King's Church in Cambridge, England. We hope you are blessed and challenged by listening to the ministry today. And now, here's the broadcast. First of all, I'll honor, welcome everyone listening to us on the King's Cast. Uh, a few weeks ago, I mentioned that we wanted to uh, begin a series, maybe two or three weeks it'll take. We won't do it next Sunday because it's Easter. But um, on really the, the sort of the components of a Pentecostal church, what is, um, what's a Pentecostal church? How is it different? Is it different to any other kind of church? What's the sort of the ingredients that you can, you know, you should expect. If I go to a, you know, Chinese restaurant, certain things I expect will be part of the menu. What are the things that are sort of on the menu of a Pentecostal church, which are not always on the menu of every church? What is it that makes a Pentecostal church Pentecostal? And uh, we looked at a few ideas, and I want to progress this over the next into next month, really, a little bit, or into this month now. Uh, For some people, Pentecostal means uh, uh, lively. For some people, it it means crazy, by the way. Uh, For some people, uh, it means black skin, mainly, rather than white skin. Uh, For some people, it means uh, uh, people who hold snakes in their hands. That happens in some places. I don't fancy that. Not even at seven in the morning do I fancy that. Uh, for some people, it's a place where they're speaking in tongues and things like this. So we want to just look at what it is that is the that makes us a Pentecostal church, and of course, ultimately makes you a Pentecostal person if that is uh, is if that's the kind of DNA that's going to end up being in you. For this morning. I wanted to begin by um, just looking at some of the, if you like, some of the outward things of a Pentecostal church. Things that are not quite maybe internal, but external. And sometimes external things are not always the most relevant thing, but they're certainly worth looking at. And uh, so I want to talk about the components of worship today. Why, when you come into a Pentecostal church, or maybe a charismatic church many times as well, why is the worship uh, the way it is? Uh, Because it is very, very different. And, um, or at least it can be. It can be very different. And are the things that happen, say, in a church like this, are these things in the Bible even? Or are they some part of some sort of tradition? Do these things have some basis in the Bible? Because if they have basis in the Bible, then we should all be involved with them. If they're part of tradition, we can, you know, take it or leave it. But if it's in the Bible, then it must be important. And it must be prescriptive. It must be that we need it must be that we should be engaged with it in some way. 
First of all, Jesus' words in John uh, chapter 4, 23 and 24. Jesus says this, A time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. It's, it's fascinating. Jesus says there's different kinds of worshippers. Did you see that? Different kinds. And there are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. Well, I don't know about you. I want to be the kind of worshipper the Father seeks, right? That's what I want to be. And I want you to be that. And here are his components. God is spirit, verse 24. And his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. Now, I'm not going to unpack that too much today, but just simply, Jesus taught that worship must be spiritual and authentic. So it must be a spiritual act to worship, and it must be an authentic act. It must be in truth. Now, that's when the outward display can be a little deceptive. By that I mean, there are people who can come and literally dance around in the aisles or at the front or be very expressive in worship, leaping up and down and whatever else. But it may not, it may be biblical, but it may not be authentic. I.e., it might not be real inside them. You know, they're singing, I love you, Jesus, and they're really thinking about when's Downton Abbey on? You know, in their mind, they're sort of thinking something else. So it must be spiritual, it must be authentic. And also, worship is, is an act of obedience as well. We are uh, commanded to worship God. Matthew 4 verse 10 is, is a quotation from Deuteronomy 6.13, where Jesus says in reply to the devil's temptation, but it's still uh, a valid truth. He said, worship the Lord your God and him only serve. It's a commandment. The psalm, and I just mentioned one here, Psalm 99 and verse 5. Exalt the Lord our God and worship at his footstool. So very, very simply, God commands you to worship him. You are, it's not optional. You are commanded to worship the Lord because he is the Lord. Because he's God. Whether I feel good, whether I don't feel good, whether I'm whacked out, whether I'm not whacked out, whether it's seven in the morning or not, we are commanded to worship the Lord. And we are to do it spiritually and we're to do it authentically. So we need to think about these things. So what I want to do, what are the components of Pentecostal worship? What are the things that maybe surprised you when you came into a Pentecostal church, certainly they surprised me. And I've got about four or five of them that we'll probably get through today before we have the Easter break. So, number one, lifting our hands. Wow, this was amazing to me. When I first came into church, I came to Christ in 1988. And I came into a church, it was a Pentecostal church, and I was amazed that everyone had their hands in the air. I thought maybe there was like a bandit at the front with a gun. <laughs> What's going on in here? 
everyone had their hands in the air. And so after a while, I thought, well, I better put my hands up, you know, so I don't look odd here. It's very peculiar because had you told me that morning that by putting my hands up in the air, I wouldn't look odd, as opposed to I would look odd, I might have differed with you. But the environment of the church, it was a hand-raising church. Everyone raised their hands all the time. And uh, it was amazing to me. Is it in the Bible? Is this something that God, you know, does God want you during worship to lift up your hands? Well, let's just have... Look at this. Psalm 134 and verse 2. Lift up your hands in the sanctuary or in the holy place and praise the Lord. Psalm 63 and verse 4. I will praise you as long as I live and in your name I will lift up my hands. 1 Timothy 2 and verse 8. I want men, the Apostle Paul writes, I want men, and we can imagine this means women as well, I want men and women everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands. It's not just worship, but in prayer. He is encouraging them to lift up their hands. We can sometimes think that posture is not important to God. No, what's really important is what's on the inside. Well, yes and no, it seems. Because God is giving instructions regarding posture. Very interesting. Now, I want to say again, you can lift up your hands and be thinking about the cheese you're going to put on your pizza later. So it's not really authentic. But really, we're not, we're not choosing... Uh, authenticity over posture. We want both to be divine. We want both to be biblical, don't we? Another one, let us lift up our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. Lamentations 3 and verse 41. It's very interesting. In one of the translations, it puts it a little differently. It says, let's lift up our hearts with our hands. We lift up our hearts with our hands. Here's a question. I don't know the answer to this. Why does God want us to do this? Why should we, in worship, why should we lift up our hands? Why does God seem to say, and I could have used many more verses, of course. Why does he want us to do this? You know, I really don't know. Except that what I do know is that the first time I did it, I felt like I was getting free. I felt like something was getting free in me. I felt like it was easier to worship God. If I want to pray and I stand like this, I can easily nod off or think about things. But if I posture myself, it's actually helping me to touch God. It's helping me to stay focused. You might have another explanation as to why God wants us to do this. But I find the posture helpful. Now, of course, you might find that bit by bit you want to, you know, develop it. So at first... I remember my hand went up, you know, you know, a little bit. Let's not do too much. You know, it was like 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 looking around. Anyone watching? Okay. You know, very, very, very quick. In fact, Jane, come and help me. Can you come and help me here? Come up here, sweetheart. Let's just 
there's sort of a progression. Perhaps you can come this side of me. Can you hold, hold the mic? So you need to put it right next to me. So first of all, you know, you're like, you're looking around. Is anyone going to, you know, is anyone going to see me? And normally what happens is you kind of start by uh, lifting the TV. So there you are. You start there. I'm, I'm, I'm lifting the TV. No one can see. It's right down here. There's a big lady in front of me and a big man here. No one can see. You start getting a bit free. You go to widescreen TV there a little bit. So it just goes, you know, a little bit more. A big screen TV. And then you move to this, which really is generally known in churches as my fish was this big. So you move to like another level. So you're here, here. Then you move to here's my baby. You want it? That's this. So you move to here's my baby. And uh, you can move very quickly then to, you know, school. Hello. You can move to um, um, goalposts like this. And slowly but surely, you can make your way to the top. Well, that'll do for now. If you've never done it before, of course, by the way, that's some stuff from Tim Hawkins that I stole there. But if you've never done it before, you're, not, you're, not gonna, you're probably not going to go to goalposts or schools right away. By the way, the other one, the ladies do. I'm, I'm, uh, this is called washing the window. You know, ladies... Ladies do this. You're not going to move to that probably straight away. But I noticed this at church. People were doing this. But what I did notice was that it helped me. And that's what everything in the Bible actually is supposed to do. Help you. If God says I must fast, then it must be helpful to me. If God says I must abstain from lying, it must be helpful to me. If God says I shouldn't commit adultery, it must be helpful to me. Right? Because it's, it's, it's all for me. So posture. Posture. So sometimes we'll be leading worship and say, come on, let's all lift our hands. Really, a worship leader shouldn't need to say that. Because we should all do it. We should all do it. So if ever you wondered, is all this, is it a tradition, this hand raising or whatever? Some people say, well, it's just not in my culture. It's not in my culture to lift my hand. Do you honestly think it's in my culture? <laughs> Do you? Is it in my culture? I can show you it's not in my culture because when my mother and father came to my wedding and they saw me, they were shocked. We want a kingdom culture. Can you say amen? Yeah, it's not in my cult. It's not in my culture to go she di caro bukete. That's not in my culture. They're not doing that around David Cameron's table. But it's a kingdom culture. So I want to encourage you. Lifting up our hands. It's in the Bible. Second one. Clapping hands and raised voices. Here's a good one. People say sometimes. Do you go to one of those happy, clappy churches? You ever heard that phrase? Now, I never know what to say to that. No, I go to a depressed, uh, hands-in-pocket church. I don't want to go to a happy church. No, no. Can I go to a really de depressed church, please? 
Oh, well, there's a few of those. And there are. If you go to a happy clapper, what they mean is they're sort of making fun, aren't they, really? Making fun. But I tell you, this is good. When people sat watching Britain's Got Talent last night in that audience, they clapped a lot. When people go to football matches, they clap a lot. It's really all about the context in which we're in. It's not about culture at all. My brother is crazy about football. I promise you that on Saturday afternoons, he raises his hands. He claps his hands. He sings! But he don't sing any other time. He doesn't clap his hands any other time. But it's, it's, the, it's the context of it, you see. What about this raising our voices, clapping hands? Is this in the Bible? Yes. Psalm 47, verse 1. Clap your hands, all you peoples, or all you nations, a little more accurately perhaps, all you nations, and shout to God with cries of joy. Somebody once said to me, ah, they lived, oh, I better be careful what I say, they don't live too far away from here. And they said, your church is very noisy. It's a very noisy church. She said, I think the church should be quieter. More reflective. I'm thinking, you think you don't want a noise on a Sunday. That's what you think. Now, of course, if it's not authentic, it is a noise. Right? Come on. School's out. Here we go. Come on, wash the window. If it's not authentic, it is a noise. But if it's authentic, it could be extremely loud. People say, well, why are people praying so loudly? God's not deaf, you know. Yeah, but he's not nervous either. <laughs> oh, will you leave me alone with all your shouting? He's not nervous. Does this sound like a quiet, reflective, clap your hands all you nations shout to God with cries of joy. That sounds like people who really are born again and on fire for Jesus, doesn't it? That meeting sounds good. Psalm 47 verse 1, Psalm 98 verse 4. Shout for joy. You're getting the uh, key word here. Shout for joy to the Lord. All the earth burst into jubilant song with music. Burst into song, jubilant song. What does that look like? Well, I'll tell you what it doesn't look like. It doesn't look like this. When's this going to be over? That's not what, that ain't what it looks like. No matter what culture you're from, no matter how you feel, the, the people of God are supposed to burst into song. It's a jubilant song. I think we've got some catching up to do, don't you? Shouts of joy and victory resound in the tents of the righteous. Psalm 118 and verse 15. And one more. Here's a prayer meeting. Acts 4 verse 24. They raise their voices together in prayer to God. Now once again, you can be loud and it could just be false. You can be loud and you could just be an actor. Actors can talk loudly. Pop stars can clap their hands, right? So it's not all about the outward display. But clearly, there is some prescription here from God as to how we are to behave. 
if you like, in the modern sense, in church. Sometimes we'll say, come on, let's lift our hands. Other times I'll say, come on, let's lift our voices. Well, it's a biblical thing, that's why. When they prayed, they didn't all pray quietly. They prayed very loudly. And they probably prayed all at the same time. They didn't really wait for each other. Now, sometimes it's good to pray all together. Sometimes it's very good to allow one to lead, another to lead. I think both things are in the Bible. But church should be a a, a jubilant, noisy place. Yes, we are a happy, crappy church. And we're proud of it because it's in the Bible. Number three. Here comes music and dancing. Let's look at a few of these. Psalm 30 verse 11. You have turned my mourning into dancing. Psalm 149 verse 3. Let them praise his name with dancing and make music to him with tambourine and harp. That's just a little bit of that psalm because there's many more musical instruments. Let's praise him with music and dance. It was Jane who said, I don't know if it was last week, but she was talking about the Holy Spirit touching our feet. And it leads us to a place of dancing. I remember pastoring a church a few years ago. So it's a bit easier for me to talk about now because it's a long time ago. And uh, I went to a wedding. As ministers, you have to go to all the weddings. You do. And uh, when I was a single minister, I was put on weird tables at the weddings in order to preach to people. But one of the things that would happen is in the evening time, there would be a dance. And a disco, I suppose. And now disco's not really my thing. I'm not anointed to go to the discotheque. But they would have a wedding disco. And what I would notice, I'd be sitting there uh, with my Diet Cola, and I noticed that all the church people, they're all up boogieing away. Is that all right? Boogieing? We know what that is. Is that an international word? It's not tongues. Boogieing. They're all boogieing away. You know. And someone came up to me and said, Come on, Pete, show us your moves. (laughs) Really? Show us your moves. Come on. I said to them, I said, I'll show you my moves in the morning. I'll show you my moves in church. Tomorrow. Because as I watched all these people dancing, I knew that just 12 hours, 14 hours from the moment I was watching them now, they would be in church looking like they had died in the night. Standing like stiffened corpses. While I danced around the front. And I felt like going up to a few of them and going, Come on, show us your moves. Listen, if you want to go and have a dance to some music, I've no problem with that. Carry on. But it seems to me in the Bible that God created dance as an act of worship to him. Now, I don't mind you having a bit of a dance at home. You know, to what, or where, wherever you want. There's, there's a good context, not such a good context for that. But God did not want us to come to church and stand like stiffened corpses in seats. And then, 
to go to a football match and go, yeah! When a bit of air wrapped in leather is being propelled around a pitch. And then the following day to come to church, Jesus is alive, healing people. That's, that's nice. Yeah, that's, that's, that's good. Like that. Rock on. So King's Church, this is what I'm saying to you as the pastor. Show us your moves. Not now. Everything should be done decently and in order. Come on. They danced before the Lord. I've got one more because it's King David, isn't it? David was dancing in 2 Samuel 6, verse 14, verse 15. And he danced before the Lord with all his might. I wonder what that looked like. He was a mighty man, wasn't he? Athletic chap. All right? So what did he do when he danced before the Lord with all his might? This Pentecostal hop? I don't think so. I think he threw himself around and, you know, amazing. Now you have to be careful when you throw yourself around in church. Some people in recent years have started bringing giant flags in, and, which is fine, but they're rather dangerous. I remember standing next to a lady with a giant flag. It's like a javelin. I just said, look, I know you love Jesus, but put the worship javelin down. You're waving it and hitting me in the head. And, well, praise God for some life. So if you want to dance, get in the aisle. Get down the front. Let's do it. He danced with all his might while he and all Israel, and then um, bringing up the ark of the, of the covenant. That's the little piece I've not put on the screen. But they did it with shouts and the sound of trumpets. Amen. So church is supposed to be a place where all the best music gets played. And suddenly, I, I remember when we first put drums into church, people got very nervous that we might be summoning up, you know, the devil or something with the drums. If you notice, the drummer is the only one protected by a bulletproof screen. Did you notice that? Do you think that's there to stop the sound or something? No, no, it's to stop people shooting at him. In case he's possessed by Beelzebub. I tell you, these meetings in the temple in David's day and Solomon's day, they were much louder than these meetings. They were much longer. And I bet people showed up on time. Can you say amen? Amen. Only a few of you can. No, they were amazing times. Music and dancing. Is it in the Bible? Yes. What about speaking in tongues? Well, as we do this a lot, let's hope it's in the let's hope it's in the Bible, eh? Now There are many different ways in the Bible that God references or speaks about speaking in tongues in different kinds of ways. Excuse me. And in worship is just one of them. People speak in other tongues when they receive their baptism in the Spirit, as we heard about earlier. Other people have a a kind of a gift or ministry to 
to bring a service to a kind of a, a temporary pause as they speak what the old Pentecostals used to call an utterance. Today we might call it a message. But, aside from these, there is also the place for us to worship God in other tongues without the need for interpretation. Now, some people uh, have a ministry to kind of stop a meeting. But there is a, um, there's a kind of speaking in tongues which is just really for you as you worship the Lord. You ever wondered what you might be saying when you speak in tongues? If, if you don't do it, you ever wondered what the person next to you might actually be saying? And uh, it's lovely. Acts 10 verse 46 says the people in Cornelius' house were filled with the Spirit. says they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. I think the inference there is that the speaking in tongues was a form of praising God. It wasn't supposed to be a message. It wasn't a prophecy hidden in tongues. It was praising God. Similarly in... Uh, in Acts chapter 2, when the first Pentecostals begin speaking in other tongues, the people say, we, we can hear them. Acts 2 verse 11, declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues. And so it's a, it's a Bible thing to praise God or to declare the wonders of God in our own tongues. Sometimes when tongues are interpreted, it sometimes seems like a message. Other times I think it could be a prayer of, of uh, praise. But I'll talk about this in a few weeks' time. And so people speak in tongues during worship. And as long as it's kind of at a fairly, not an overpowering level, then we can, I think we, have, we know the rules that it's, it's not for interpretation. It's just you praising the Lord. I encourage you in it. The Bible says, he who speaks in tongues builds himself up. Builds himself up. And it can't be God's will for me to be able to build myself up, but not for you. But there's also singing as well, in, in other tongues. Here's a great verse from 1 Corinthians 14, verse 15. I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. This verse means... It's okay to pray in other tongues because that's how we pray with our spirit. But you should also pray with your mind. So if we say, come on, <coughs> excuse me, let's pray for John who's not very well or something like this. Yes, we can pray in other tongues, but it's also good for us to pray with our mind. You know, Lord, will you please help John? We're supposed to do both things. You can pray in other tongues. You can pray with your spirit. But you can also pray with your mind. And so during worship, it's perfectly biblical for you to worship God in other tongues, but also biblical for you to worship God in your own tongue. Or for some of you here, in another foreign tongue, namely English. But to give God glory and praise. And then he goes on to say, I don't know, have you ever seen this verse before? I will sing with my spirit but I will also sing with my mind. How do you sing with your mind? Well, you know what you are singing. You're doing it with your mind. You're following the hymn or the song on the wall. or on your, and 
in a hymn book or something, or from memory. But there are other times to sing with your spirit. What can he mean by that? Well, we know know what he means by that. He means singing in other tongues. It can be the most beautiful sound you've ever heard. It's God's will for you. And it's a form of worship. Is it in the Bible? Absolutely. There it is. And uh, finally, just for this morning, how are we to worship God? I don't know how to put this one. I called it awestruck reverence. God is awesome. And that makes him both glorious and frightening. We should respect God above anyone else. God must be respected with awe-struck reverence. And you know what? You can clap your hands and dance in awe-struck reverence. You can sing in other tongues and shout with awe-struck reverence. But it's possible to come to church, any church, and not have awe in your heart. And we must have awe in our hearts. I get very nervous when I believe that Christians are not respecting the presence of God. Because something's going wrong in them somewhere. They haven't quite got it. Look what happened in the days of the scripture. I've just got two scriptures. Ezra in Nehemiah 8 verse 6. He praised the Lord, the great God. And all the people lifted their hands and responded, Amen, Amen. Then they bowed down and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. It ought to be like that. Now, We're not told that on every occasion we meet God, we should put our face on the ground. Not on every occasion. Not on every occasion should we kneel down or prostrate ourselves or whatever. Maybe not on every occasion. But we've got to capture the spirit of what this verse is saying. God is to be respected above everyone else. 
And the problem is sometimes we don't feel the presence of God, so we just assume he isn't there, so we just behave like we want. But God is with us all the time, isn't he? And particularly in corporate worship, Jesus said, when two or three of you should meet in my name, I'll be in, I'll be in the midst. I just want you to imagine that as I'm speaking here, suddenly the door behind me opens, which sometimes it does. And I want you to imagine that Queen Elizabeth and Prince Philip walk through that door. The, the difference it would make in this room, many of you would say it's April the 1st, they're just doubles. But, it would, but the colossal difference it would make. Or even a movie star come through. Wow, look. Even the weatherman from Look East. Who? It's the weatherman. Well, we're talking about God. Don't be late for church ever again. If your car breaks down, you are late. If the kids have been upset in the night, you're late. But don't be habitually late. Because it suggests that there is awe missing from your heart for the presence of God. Church isn't a movie with worship, the trailers that we can skip or not skip. Let's go a bit late when the adverts are over. I would rather everyone was here to worship God and then left when I came to preach so that at least God was honored most highly of all. Revelation chapter 7 verse 11, they fell down on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen. And then it goes on. Worthy is the Lamb. You are worthy to receive glory and honor. So there's a posture. There's a posture to worshiping God in, in spirit and in truth. And while we must stress that you can do all of this and it not really be real, in fact, God has given us some posture information here for us to engage with. Let's see your moves. Let's lift our hands. Let's raise our voices. Let's all pray and sing in the Spirit. Most of all, let us either physically or at least in our hearts Put our faces on the floor in the presence of the Holy One of Israel. Thank you for listening and we trust that the Word of God has inspired you today. For further information about King's Church or to access our large archive of other recordings, go to www.kingscambridge.org If you're listening on iTunes, we would love you to leave us some feedback. God bless and goodbye.